1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower.
1: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Well, 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 ridiculous historians! Thank you for tuning in. It is a Friday here as we record, and we are excited. We've got some adventures lined up on the weekend. I'm Ben. I'm No, and I'm going to have moonshine on the bayou
0: and moonshine on the bayou. That's all I got.
1: And we've got our super producer Casey Pegram.
0: <laughs> He's going to have moonshine on the bayou and moonshine on right. Casey, you're into moonshine on the bayou, am I right? Absolutely. I love both those things. You're into the shine? Yeah, the shine, the bayou, the whole nine. I know, the whole nine. Ooh. That's a rhyme. And that's Casey on the case, rhyming edition.
1: It's interesting because the the whole nine yards has its own strange etymology, right? I think it comes from the army, but I'm not I'm not too sure. I'll look into it later. It's not a
0: football thing?
1: No. No? no. I told you about the 99 yard line, and our boss. Yeah, right? okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, tell it again for Do the we folks ma- at home. Mention that on air. I don't know if we mentioned it. On. It's really really great. So uh, our our boss, who is who is a great great guy, is named Connell, and he was in a meeting with us one time where he tried to make a sports reference, and I don't think he knows a ton of stuff about football because he said, you know, we're on the 99 yard line or we're on the first yard line, and we had to stop him and say you know that comparison doesn't what, what do you think you're saying mm-hmm. you know what i mean doesn't hold up yeah not everybody not everybody can be an expert at all things however one group of people who continually get underestimated in even these our modern days are bootleggers and one of the strangest most ridiculous eras in American history was prohibition this is a perfect thing to talk about on a friday
0: oh man totally i'm drunk already <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not. But uh, I am looking forward to some. Yeah, it's true. Um, So here's the thing. We know what prohibition was quick, quick and dirty. Uh, Alcohol is illegal. Boom.
1: 1920 to 1933. Temperance. People said, you know, folks will vote for prohibition as long as they can stagger to the polls. Devil's nectar.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you call it? Oh, grandpa's leg medicine. Grandpa's old, grandpa's leg medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was verboten uh, big time. But as we know, when you tell people what they can't do, they're going to find ways to do it, and they're going to find ways to get the thing that they can't have, uh, and it's just going to keep going. And the people that procure this uh, stuff for them, this uh, grandpa's leg medicine, devil's nectar, were called uh, bootleggers, and they had to employ some kind of crafty subterfuges and tricks in order not to get caught by uh, you know the the crazy bug cop dude from uh, Boardwalk Empire remember him? Steve, Steve, he Steve me. No, no, no. The other crazy, the bug-eyed <laughs> cop guy. The cop guy who was a true believer. He was a true believer. Um, he uh, really, really wanted to stamp out anything that was impure uh, and, and, and ungodly. And to him, liquor represented debauchery mm-hmm. and chaos, a society coming apart at the seams. So he's who I'm picturing is in charge of this whole thing.
1: Interesting. I've never, uh, I've never seen Boardwalk Empire. I am aware of it, though. And— I'm very glad that we did not live during the era of alcohol prohibition. Long-time listeners, if you've checked out Boardwalk Empire or you've listened to older episodes of our show, then you are doubtlessly well aware of the strange hypocrisies that proliferated in this country during the U.S. prohibition era. You're also aware of the rampant corruption, you know. Some gangsters like Al Capone made vast fortunes. This was a huge watershed moment for organized crime. Here's something a lot of people don't know that could be a good episode all its own. Remember earlier when I said these moonshiners get underestimated. This is a fact that a lot of people don't know. Prohibition led to NASCAR. NASCAR would not have existed without prohibition because, like you said, they had to be crafty, these bootleggers, and they had to be sneaky. So a lot of the improvements they made to their vehicles led to the growth of NASCAR.
0: I did not know that, Ben, and that is a fantastic subject for another episode. But today we're talking about a different kind of innovation that they uh, spearheaded, these, these crafty bootleggers, as you call them. Um, and it's uh, two words, very simple idea, but pretty damn
1: genius. Cowshoes. shoes. Cow shoes. Cow shoes. Two separate words. Yeah, so these moonshine stills would be out in remote or hidden areas, in a holler maybe, by a creek, but they would would be in the woods. You know what I mean? There wouldn't necessarily even be like a deer path. The only way that the authorities, the G-men and so on, could track down these moonshiners once they were physically following them in the woods was to find their footprints or do some, you know, do some Boy Scout path searching, right? Look for broken branches, look for trampled grass, cracked leaves, things like that. And depending on the terrain, you might get a footprint. So the bootleggers said, look, we're going to have to leave some kind of print as we walk in and out of here. But why does it have to be a a human footprint, right?
0: Right. Right, indeed. And uh, real quick, I just want to point out that you can buy yourself your very own five-gallon moonshine still from moonshinestill.com. And the five-gallon unit is $379. And I love the look of these things. They look like a cool, like, wizard chemistry set with, like, a big boiler and then, like, a little dome that comes off the top and then, like, kind of a uh, a swan-like little tube that then drip, drip, drips down into the collection receptacle, and that's how they, they make the moonshine. Um, pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, they would have these out in sheds in the woods or, like, just out, you know, like in hidden in a glen or something like that. But, yeah, they needed to get to and from there without leaving a trail. And that's exactly what they did, Ben. They would attach these uh, these cow, um, what do you call them? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say horseshoes for cows. <laughs> they're, cow, they're cow shoes. Yeah. yeah. That's the, literally what you, what you call them, a shoe. Uh, and they would attach them to their human shoes.
1: And these would look like hoof prints, or that was the thought that someone would be searching through the woods. Maybe they catch part of a trail, and then they would look down, and they would say, hang on, this was just some cow walking in the woods or some sort of hoofed creature. The idea most likely came from literature. It came from a Sherlock Holmes story where a bad guy in one of the stories attaches fake cow hooves to the feet of his horse to avoid detection. Spoiler alert, Ben. You just spoiled Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, everyone. I
0: spoiled the whole thing. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Sorry. I, it's okay. I think Sherlock Holmes stories are past the
1: statute of limitations with spoilers.
0: Also, that Edgar Allan Poe story, totally a monkey with a razor.
1: The murders in the room Morgue. Yeah, that's the one. Monkey yeah. with a razor. So— the Sherlock Holmes story specifically was called The Adventure of the Priory School, which I, I have not read, but spoilers, three, two, one. here be spoilers. The plot involves a mystery surrounding a young student who disappears uh, along with his teacher, and Sherlock Holmes discovers that the murder culprit made his horses wear fake cow hooves. So that's the first time it exists in literature, but what was it in real life? Pretty simple— They weren't actual cow hooves. They were wooden blocks that had been carved to look like the hooves, right, and then attached to a metal strip and then strapped to a human foot. There was an example of the shoe found near Port Tampa and sent to the Prohibition Department in Washington, and that's how the feds learned about this. So it was a real thing. It actually happened. It also was described in a a couple of other things, right, in some newspapers.
0: Absolutely it was, Ben. In a 1922 article from the St. Petersburg, uh, Florida paper known as the Evening Independent – this is no longer a thing – they described this technique – Uh, As such, a new method of evading prohibition agents was revealed here today by A.L. Allen. See, I'm I'm drifting into the mid-Atlantic accent. It's Florida, though, but it's fine. It's still fun for reading this kind of old copy. Uh, A.L. Allen, state prohibition enforcement director who displayed what he called a cow shoe as the latest thing from the haunts of moonshiners. That's from May 27th, 1922, The Evening Independent. So the discovery
1: of this astonishing cow shoe technology did not necessarily mean the end of moonshining and bootlegging because people liked to drink. Nowadays, it's weird— uh, so many hipster restaurants and so many of my hipster friends, to be honest, get uh, have gotten into creating or distilling moonshine. And it's been in my family for a long, long time, right? Uh, we actually do have some old moonshine stills. That, really? That I wouldn't touch, yeah. Oh, you think they'd be like, they would taint, they'd be tainted with just age and rust and crust? I don't know if it's up to health code standards.
0: Yeah, and and, and we, we we mentioned it briefly, but... That was the thing about prohibition period in these stills is there was no health standard. And a lot of people died because they would use too much of a certain ingredient or like there was too much ethanol in the uh, product and it would literally kill people. Not to mention – we did we do it on this show or was yes. it on stuff that I don't want you to know yeah. where the government actually uh, in- intervened to try to um, – to try to basically poison people who were illegally imbibing these uh, products, right, Ben?
1: Yeah, we did an episode on this. So long story short, Uncle Sam, during Prohibition, decided to deliberately poison industrial alcohol, which was being stolen and and used to make bootleg stuff. And this led to the death of more than 10,000 people in the U.S. And when Prohibition was finally repealed in 1933, a lot of places said, you know what, we're going to stay dry, What's the what's the whiskey, Jack Daniels? Jack mm-hmm. Daniels is made in a dry county. Still, I know. that's
0: so funny. I was just talking. I was in Tennessee uh, over the last few days in Nashville. Um, and first of all, the ten- the Nashville Airport is basically like a liquor store. Like all of the gift shops just sell yeah. all of the different types of Tennessee you whiskey. Know I used whiskey. to live there. Of course, I did. Yeah. I'm not talking to you, Ben. I'm talking to the people. All right. But uh, somebody told me they took the the tour of the Jack Daniels Distillery. And they weren't able to, you're not able to buy any any liquor there
1: at the Jack Daniels tour. It's true. It's crazy. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime.
2: Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com,
0: where America goes to hire.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. See Mint Mobile for details. We also see the effects of this sort of prohibition today. There was research conducted by economists at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and they found that meth lab seizures in Kentucky are significantly more likely to occur in dry counties. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Right. I'm just saying, you know, uh, you you tell people what they can't have—
0: they're going to have it one way or another, um, whether it be in alcohol form or in uh, meth
1: form. Or crocodile or uh, jankum. You like jankum? That's not my jam. No, it's not. jam not, not my man, jank. Definitely it's not. Uh, look it up, folks, if you want to be totally, totally grossed out. Uh, I would consider it not safe for work. <laughs> oh, no, it's absolutely not, <laughs> and, and not safe for work. Like all works of genius, the cow shoes were not restricted to uh, a single use or single application – it turns out that someone else had come up with the cow shoe idea decades beforehand.
0: Very true. Uh, it was in the 1920s in the town of Elko, Nevada. Nevada? Which way am I supposed to say it?
1: So people outside of Nevada say Nevada. People inside Nevada say Nevada. Oh,
0: so what should I say? I'm outside of it.
1: I don't know, man. You got to bring that Vegas with you. No, man, I'm going to say it how I say it. Yeah. Nevada.
0: Sure. Yeah, Elko, Nevada. Uh, there was some really odd goings-on uh, that were documented in the 1920s. You see, uh, for a couple of months, some cows from a place called the Utah Construction Company Ranch. Wait, why is, it, why is there a Utah construction company in, in Nevada? Uh, we'll never know. Um, they were disappearing, Ben. They were disappearing. Mm-hmm. And you know Nevada's lousy with UFO abductions and, and, and UFO uh, alien types love cow Situations They love, like, mangling cows. Was it aliens, Ben? What was it?
1: Well, it may have been aliens in some instances, but at least one instance, it was a guy who maybe had read a Sherlock Holmes story or two and decided to build himself some cow shoes. A few of the cowboys on the ranch followed a mysterious trail of hoof prints, and then they came across their missing cattle being led away by a notorious troublemaker named J.R. Crazy Tex Hazelwood. I don't know why, but I think he's got one of those sort of high whistling voices. Ooh, I love that. Does he kind of whistle when mm-hmm. he talks like that? It's Crazy Tex. Yeah. <laughs> so the ranchers apprehended Crazy Tex, and then they saw he was wearing cow shoes. He had two boards mounted on top of two real cow hooves each. And according to Howard Hickson, local historian there, Tex had no regrets. He bragged about how he had learned to walk like a cow, like the gait of the cow. It wasn't good enough just to have the shoes. Uh, And now those shoes, his cow shoes, are on display today at the Northeastern Nevada Museum. You ever been? I have not been to that one. No, no. I have – my my current goal for Nevada travel-wise is to spend some time at the Hoover Dam. You
0: know what I always remember when I think about the Hoover Dam? What's that? That scene in Beavis and Butthead do America where Beavis is like, eh, eh, is it a goddamn – <laughs> Sorry.
1: No. I don't remember, remember that movie. doesn't hold
0: up. It's not very funny.
1: It didn't age well? I don't think so.
0: <laughs> uh, there is a cool part where they end up taking some sort of psychedelic hallucinogen in the in the uh, desert, and then it all turns into, like, Rob Zombie animations, and it's, it's pretty psychedelic and cool. Uh, I got to say, Ben, uh, Howard Hickson, great name for a local historian. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, he's the guy that, that was part of this whole, this whole situation here. Um, so— There's a lot of things that Prohibition-era hucksters would do to evade the authorities. This Um, is the weirdest one. This is a weird one. Yeah, it's about a bad
1: sandwich. Yeah, I don't understand this. Okay, so because of the way excise laws worked in in New York State at the time, in like the end of the 19th century, if you went out for a drink— you would have a very strange experience. Let's say you go out, you're, you're Casey Pegram, out on the town, New York, 1890s. You go to your local bar and you say, you know what, I'll have a, I'll, I'll have a beer or I'll have you know, whiskey on the rocks or something. The waiter or bartender would bring you the drink, but they would bring it out with a sandwich. And the sandwich was horrible.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of variations of it. Uh, it was it was more than just horrible. It was it, it was inedible. Uh, in you know, uh, speaking in broad terms, um, it was quote an old desiccated ruin. Of this is great writing of dust laden bread and mummified ham or cheese. And that is uh, from the mouth, the mind, the pen of the brilliant playwright Eugene O'Neill. Uh, that was one variation of it. Another variation was it was just made of rubber.
1: Yeah, that's gross, right? Uh, The thing is, you're not supposed to eat the sandwich. They would, take the, they would bring the sandwich out to you, and then seconds later, they would take it back. It was the same sandwich. It was just the sandwich was making the rounds right. in the restaurant or It the was bar. an excuse for what? Serving
0: booze. That's right. That's right. Very, very uh, creative. A lot of this, is, again, this involves a lot of innovation and creativity, and that is no excuse. Um, and, you know, the owners of these establishments argued that this wasn't breaking the law.
1: right. This strange ritual was a result of the Reigns Law, which was described in Atlas Obscure as a combination of good intentions, unstated prejudices, and unforeseen consequences. So the Reigns Law was meant to get rid of dive bars. It raised the cost of a liquor license to 800 bucks, three times what it had been before. It said, you know, you can't be open within 200 feet of a school or a church. You can't have f- a free lunch, which was a thing that bars used to do. Never heard of this. I had never heard of it either. I don't think it was a great lunch, but you could go somewhere. And, Better than a rain sandwich though, right? Yes. Yeah. It go somewhere. what they called it. Yeah. You would get cheese, soda bread, and raw onions for free. Yikes.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess they do kind of do like free peanuts and gummy bears in certain bars and snacks. Some, some right? places. Mm-hmm.
1: I love the snacks. Any situation, I'm down to snack. Uh And the law also attacked drinking on Sundays or being open on Sundays. But here's what happened. You see, the law had a loophole, and then there was a loophole within that loophole. The first one was this. The law, the way these laws were written, allowed lodging houses with 10 rooms or more to serve guests drinks with meals seven days a week. And then, incidentally, wealthy New Yorkers, would just dine out at a ritzy hotel because that's a lodging house mm-hmm. so they can serve drinks seven yeah. days a week. Yeah.
0: And yeah. honestly, I mean, that the little loopholes like that still kind of exist today uh, in, you know, the bars that we go to here in Atlanta. Like, more often than not, they want to serve food even if it's not a big part of their income, right? right? It's important to them to be able to serve food because it allows them to be open earlier, I want to say, or that, maybe you know the law better than me, but there's definitely a reason that, Uh, it's beneficial to a business that serves alcohol to also serve food. I think it means that the events don't have to be 21 and up, like if you're having concerts or whatever. maybe that's so, That might be part of it. I think you can do 18 and up events if they serve food.
1: I can't remember what city I was in. I was somewhere in kind of a dodgy bar, and I was trying to figure out if they have food, and they had hot dogs, but the person who was selling them was like, don't eat those, we just keep those so we can say we have food. And I ran in and maybe it was a real life rain sandwich. Here's how the loophole worked. Here's how we got this terrible sandwich. You can't sell booze on Sunday. The rain's law doesn't want you to, but that is one of the most profitable days for a lot of people. Here's what the downtown bar owners did. They founded private clubs and then they started handing out membership cards to their regulars it's sort of like if our local bar the local
0: in a burst of creativity as right, you would say
1: right that's still so it's hilarious when we say it on air like that but if they had to if they had to confront this kind of law then they might very well turn into a club hand out membership cards and so on these people also converted basements and attic spaces into rooms like hotel rooms And then they said, okay, we count as a lodging house. We'll throw tablecloths over the pool tables. That makes us kind of a restaurant. And because the law says if you're a lodging house with 10 or more rooms, you can serve guests drinks with food seven days a week. They had to pick something they could use that would count as food. Yeah,
0: and I guess you could argue it's debatable – whether this uh, this disgusting sandwich could be—I don't know. You would, you would think that the law could come down on them and say, guys, this is in fact inedible. Uh, this does not qualify as food.
1: Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's like your hot dog story, right?
1: Right. Here's the here's the quote, because I love where you're going with this. Law enforcement itself bought this. An assistant DA in Brooklyn said the following to a group of police captains as the first of these Rains hotels started hitting the scene. He said— Well, I would not say that a cracker is a complete meal in itself, but a sandwich is. How much did they pay him? Good question. They paid him something
0: yeah, it's that sandwich sweet, sweet sandwich money. Um no, I don't know, man. This is very interesting stuff. It's all about these little clever tricks, whether it's to disguise something uh, like a footprint or that's to skirt the law in some way. Mm-hmm. And we still again, we still see uh, the kind of legacy of this playing out in t- in today's uh, today's t- this our modern world
1: You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1 800 Discover to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
3: Perfect home sweet home.
1: Now, of course, it's tempting to say, wow, what a crazy story. Uh, What a strange period in U.S. history. But as William Faulkner said, the past is not over. The past is not even past. The Prohibition Party, dear ridiculous historians, is still in play today.
0: It's still a thing. It's true. It is the oldest third party in America. Uh, the next oldest would be the Green Party. Uh, no, that's not true. I don't know what the next oldest would be. I did not even know this was considered a party. But, yeah, it's on the ballot in at least three states. You'd think we would have a more precise number of that. Is it three? Is it at least three? Is it more than three? Uh huh. You tell me. I don't know, Ben.
1: Oh, I, well, whenever somebody says it's on the ballot in at least three states, it means that it might be in additional ones in the future.
0: There you go. That makes sense. Um, so here is how this works. Uh, it's never gotten more than 2.2 percent of the popular vote, but there it is just the same. Um, it's shown up on presidential ballot since 1872 uh, every time. And it has had uh, some kind of spotlighty type moments, right? Like during the 1920 uh, alcohol ban prohibition, right? The titular alcohol ban of the party, the Prohibition Party, um, and that was really its time to shine.
1: Yeah, and it's strange when you think that the party is still extant and it is still so focused on a, on a single issue, right? One thing that's really awesome— Although Prohibitionists and I clearly do not see eye to eye on a great many things, uh, I found it inspiring and really cool that in 1924, the Prohibition Party became the first political party in this country to put a woman on the presidential ballot when they named Marie C. Brem as their vice presidential candidate. Very interesting. Like, oddly forward
0: thinking, but like at the same time, she was probably a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, come on. For them to have, like, pushed her forth, it's just me completely editorializing. But, like, you know, like, again, I'm going to go back to my uh, Prohibition uh, detective in, um, you know, played by Michael Shannon in Boardwalk Empire. The, the whole thing with the Prohibition Party and that movement is temperance. And that is all tied to religious zealotry, right? So a lot of times if you're going to be like, you know, you have to be the craziest religious zealot to be pushed forth as uh, the president of this. Movement, uh, right? That's, that's what I'm getting at. You know, not to say that all religious people are monsters or anything. I just think this type of puritanical zealotry tends to
1: yield uh, troubling results. You know, we understand that alcoholism can be a serious and very threatening problem. That being said, I love prohibition propaganda. Like the cartoons, they're amazing. I wish there were more like this. You know what? If I ever own a bar... I'm just going to decorate it with prohibition pictures. Can you so, give me some examples? Sure, sure. Uh, there's, there's this famous one where there were a bunch of very angry people uh, standing around a sign that says, lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. There are things saying, which gets your vote, mother or the saloon? Vote dry. Ask the first 10 mothers you meet if they would vote for the saloon and govern yourself accordingly.
0: And then you have just some like outright, you know, fear mongering things that aren't even clever. Like beer doubled the child death rate in the first five years of life. Children of sober parents, 23% died. Children of beer drinkers, 45 percent died alcohol whether in beer or in whiskey is an enemy of child
1: life that was the thing yeah you'll see pictures where it's the barroom or the boy your vote may settle it and there's a guy drunk outside of like a western looking saloon and there's a little kid standing on the porch with him going is that you daddy it's it's pretty sad.
0: You got another one here where it's a cartoon. This is a pretty clever one. Um, it's a cartoon of like a dude in kind of like a houndstooth suit, but he's not a regular old dude. His head is a globe. It is the world, and it's being enveloped by something called the liquor octopus, which is as you would imagine a cartoonish octopus that has words printed on it uh, in the you know in the style of political cartoons. And every tentacle is a different vice, right? We've got well, not vice, but just a different outcome. We've got poverty on one. Identical crime, disease, debauchery, and waste. And then at the bottom, there's like a log or something that he's supposed to sit on. It says American anti-saloon methods. That is uh-huh. what this came from.
1: I think the last example I'll cite is the propaganda poster that just, it's kind of simple. It looks like it might be from a different time. It claims there are six bad things that alcohol can cause: adultery, drunks, violence, illness, sinners, and atheist. Gasp! <laughs> I like the idea that somebody is going to have a beer and then instantly go. There's no God. There is no God. The, how bad was that beer? Was it like a? Was it like a Michelob? Must have been ultra. Michelob Ultra. What's the worst beer, Ben? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I haven't drank every beer. I know I'm, I'm kind of a philistine in this regard. I'm not a beer guy either. You know what I can say is a great beer. No, it's the worst beer. I don't know what the worst beer is. Okay, what's a good beer? A good beer is Miller Lite. It's so good, in fact, that you can drink it with your mouth. Brought to you by Miller Lite. <laughs> is that true?
0: <laughs> that campaign was from years ago, Ben. I know. I
1: just love we're not, that line. We're not still
0: getting residuals now. That. that is a good line. And I swear to God, they, they if they haven't just, like, lifted that from you and used that in their uh, advertising materials... Yeah, that's I guess I'm like an old man. Advertising material uh, Then they are missing the boat, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a whiskey guy. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I am divorced. It's certainly possible that alcohol led to directly or indirectly to my divorce. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Um, I do have a job. Uh, I, I, uh, I I pay my way. Um, uh, are you I, a you sinner? I, am I a sinner? I don't know. I'm not a saint. Are you debauched from time to time? <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I'm wholly debauched, so I think we have our debauched moments. Check out my Instagram stories. You can follow me at How now Noel
1: Brown, on the gram. And you can follow me at Ben Bolin as I get kicked into and out of various uh, events, Bars, restaurants, countries, there's always something. Saloons? <laughs>
0: Saloons. <laughs> Speakeasies?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: all that stuff. If you want to join our community group, this is a very organic transition to the outro this time, Ben. I'm a big fan. If you want to join our community on the Facebook, you can do so. We are Ridiculous Historians. Just search for that group and uh, name one or both or all three of us. Or just uh, say a joke that lets us know that you're, you're, you're cool and we'll let you write
1: it. Yeah, if it's a good pun, I'm, I'm going to just green light it all day we would also like to thank as always our super producer casey pegram our research associates ryan barish and gabe Luzia,
0: alex williams who composed our theme also gets a hefty thanks um we'd like to thank christopher hasiotis here in spirit there's a christopher shaped hole in all of our hearts that we hope to fill very soon thanks to the quizter I, I miss him. We need to bring him back in the game. Yeah, he's okay. I'm, I'm warming up to the idea. When he's gone for a while, it's sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. That's kind of how I feel. But yeah, we should definitely have him in so I can go back to hating him with a fire deep inside me.
1: Tell us and your fellow listeners your favorite weird prohibition stories. Do you have a personal family connection to prohibition, to bootlegging, to moonshining? A lot of people in Appalachia do.
0: Yeah, you can write to us at ridiculous at iheartradio.com. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
3: perfect home sweet home.
2: You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Centiva.